So this morning we are continuing in our wisdom series, and we have one more week. We're in week four or five. Next Sunday we'll be doing another message on wisdom, but in June we're going to start a new series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend four weeks in June talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and why the Holy Spirit is so important and candidly so often misunderstood. And so I'm really looking forward to spending four weeks teaching on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but this morning we're in week four of our series on wisdom called Not a Click Away. And let me just recap really quick. The first week I talked to you about the idea that wisdom starts with trusting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then week two, Pastor Jason was up here and he taught about understanding God's will and how do we know God's will and how do we follow God's will. And then last week I taught on the idea of being teachable and how we need to continue to learn and grow. This morning, we're talking about being generous, being generous. Now, generosity is about so much more than money, but it is about money. And we're going to talk a little bit about money this morning. I know maybe if you're visiting or you got dragged here, you're like, see, this is, this is the problem. Like, this is why I don't go to church, because they're always talking about money, and religion always wants my money. And maybe some of you, you're okay with it, but you also are like, Pastor David, you, this is not how you grow a church. If you want to go to church, talk about love and forgiveness and mercy, but do not talk about money. You can't talk about money. You can't grow a church and talk about money. But you know what else is true? You can't grow people and not talk about money. And our mission at Trinity is not to grow a church. Our mission at Trinity was never to go to two services, to go to three services, to build a bigger building. That's not our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. And if we're going to help people grow, we have to talk about all areas of life. And I think it's clear in Scripture that there's no real spiritual growth if you don't learn to trust Jesus with your stuff. If you trust in your stuff more than you trust in Jesus, then you're not really growing in your faith. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this, even our money and our possessions. And we're going to look primarily at two verses in Proverbs chapter 3. So let's look together here at verses 9 and 10. It's in your handout uh, that you got. It'll be on the screens for you. Verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Honor the Lord with all of your wealth. This morning we're going to learn four things about generosity. And the first thing is this. Generosity starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. Way before you open up your hand to give, way before you write a check, way before you give money away, Generosity starts in the heart. It said there, honor the Lord with your wealth. That Hebrew verb for honor, it speaks of weight or weightiness. It's actually the, the, the basic form of the verb is to be heavy. What they're saying here is there is a weightiness that we give to different things, and that's how we honor things. And even in the world today, we might say that somebody has social status or social weight, or, or maybe, maybe more familiar to you is this phrase, he's throwing his weight around. Throw your weight around. What do they mean? They don't mean literally throw your weight around. What they mean is you have social status and standing and power and influence, and now leverage all of that to get things done. That's what it means to throw your weight around. And for many people, wealth communicates weight, prestige, rank, importance. And whoever you give the most weight to in your life, your own, you direct your attention, whatever you give value to and worth to, that shows you a lot about your own heart. And when it comes to wealth, here's what I think we tend to do. We tend to either honor wealth itself, give all the weightiness to wealth, or we honor those who have wealth. 
We look at those who, who have wealth, and we assume they're more important. They have more prestige. They have more value. But wisdom, according to the Proverbs here, it changes us. Because wisdom says not honor wealth and not honor those that have wealth. Wisdom says honor the Lord with your wealth or from your wealth. One of the commentaries says that this is what it means, that we should make the Lord famous and prominent by the way we even use our wealth, by means of our wealth. Use your money to increase his prestige in your world. Generosity is not just about how much money you give away or how much money you don't give away. Generosity is actually about how do you spend, invest, and use the money that you don't give away. And I know this is like stepping on your toes a little bit because some of you are like, well, hold up. Like, I'm in on giving. I give. Some of you are like, I tithe. I give 10%. I, I give. But you're trying to tell me that God doesn't just want that, but he actually wants to have a say in how I spend the remaining amount of money. And that's exactly what it means here. Honor the Lord with your wealth, not just the stuff you give away, but even the stuff that you spend. It reveals a lot about yourself. What do you treat as weighty? If we were to look through your checkbook or look through your credit card statement, which you're not gonna, I got no interest. No pun intended. But if we were gonna look at that, we would, what would we, what would we see? What would we see? That's a dad joke. That's a dad joke, sorry. That's, that's a dad joke. That's when you're 40 and a dad. So, so, so what would you see? Would I see, like, would you see, like, what do you give weight towards? Is it pleasure? Is it your comfort? Is it your status? Is it your appearance? Is it escape? How are you spending your money? And what does it reveal about what you give the most weightiness towards? So to honor the Lord with our wealth means that we use it first and foremost for his purposes. Even in our spending of our money, we're mindful and thoughtful of God. How do you want me to handle and use the resources that are in my hand? Because it starts first in your heart. Now, how is this a wisdom issue? It's a wisdom issue because there's nothing that makes people look more foolish than when they love wealth most. People who honor wealth above everything else instead of honoring the Lord with their wealth, eventually they're going to look foolish. Why? Because people do foolish things to get wealthy, don't they? People will do foolish things. Families on the root of wealth, they will sell themselves out. They will compromise their values. They will lay their families on the altar of their career. They'll do foolish things to get wealthy. Some people do foolish things to keep their wealth. Here's what, here's what money does. Money has the power to blind you from seeing people the way that you should see them. Now, instead of people who have inherent value and worth and deserve your time and your attention, you're only gonna spend time with people who, who help your personal wealth agenda move forward. You, you, you see people either as obstacles to more wealth or tools and assets to get more wealth. It blinds us from seeing possessions right. Instead of things that we own, they become things that own us. And we look to the stuff that we have to give us either significance or security. We can spend our money on foolish things. Anybody, don't have to raise your hand, but anybody ever spend their money on something foolish? Nowadays with Amazon, it's so much easier. You click on a button and then some, something foolish is coming to your house. <laughs> And you don't even always know it's foolish until you open it up and you're like, oh, what a fool I am. <laughs> we look foolish in our wealth, all of our spending. Sometimes people spend so much money they end up looking like a fool. You can't take stuff from this earth to the next world. You can't take your earthly treasure and your stuff with you when you die. Wealth can't fill your heart up. Uh, money can't satisfy you. And honoring yourself over others doesn't help others. You won't make a difference. Your legacy will be he lived for himself, not he, re he resourced others and he, he invested, she invested the stuff that God gave her to make a difference. And here's the other reason why it's a wisdom issue. When you honor wealth more than you honor God with your wealth, 
it actually enslaves you. You become a slave to that thing. It masters you. Why? Listen, only the things that you're willing to give away have no power over you. Only the things that you're willing to give away actually hold no power over you. Anything that you've got a grip on and you won't let go of, guess what? It's, it's got a grip on you. It's controlling you. Some people, you know, at this point, maybe thinking, well, see, this is just, this is just the, the uh, you know, annual pitch for more money. The church needs more money. The church needs me to give my money away. Listen, God doesn't need your money. God's got everything he possibly needs. The church doesn't need you to give your money away. You need you to give your money away. Because if you don't have a heart that's open and generous and willing to give, then there's a much bigger issue than how much money you're giving or what you're doing with your resources. The issue is, is that you have a different Lord in your life. And you can sing all the songs and you can be in church, but ultimately the way that you live reveals who or what you trust in most. It all starts in the heart. Generosity starts in the heart. Second thing that we learn from this text, generosity recognizes the source. Generosity recognizes the source. It said, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, give to him. To give the first fruits implies that not just the first fruits belong to God, but the whole thing belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Why? Because it all came from him to begin with. We have to recognize the source of everything we have. When we are generous towards God, when we give to his purposes, when we give to his kingdom, when we give to his people, we're simply responding to a God who's been so radically generous towards us. Today is Lilia's, my oldest daughter, today is Lilia's birthday. She turned 11 today, and so wish her happy birthday if you see her later. And we knew that today was going to be busy with church, and then we have dinner parties tonight. And so we're like, Lily, let's do lunch on Saturday, the day before your birthday. Let's do birthday lunch. She said, okay. So I said, where do you want to go for lunch? It's your choice, birthday lunch. And she said, I want to go to the Flaming Grill and Buffet. <laughs> and externally, I played it pretty cool. I was like, well, yeah, it's your choice. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Whatever you want. But internally, I was like, yes. <laughs> Discipleship. <You know? laughs> and so we go to the buffet yesterday after her soccer game. And you've had this experience where you're, you know, everybody gets their plate and they sit down. And you sit down with your plate, but then you start looking at other people's plates. And you ever had the experience where you sit down with other people and they have stuff on their plate you didn't know was up there? Like you didn't see it. You didn't realize it was there. And you're like, what is that? And then like, even though it's all up there, now I want to try it off their plate. And so, so you reach over and you try it off your plate. And you know, so imagine that here I am like trying to get some food because Lily and Caroline, they love the noodles. I love the noodles too, but I know it's not good for me. So I don't usually get noodles, but they love the noodles. And so I live vicariously through them. And then sometimes I'll reach over and I'll grab a thing of noodles from them. Now imagine they say to me, what are you doing? And they kind of pull the plate to themselves and say, this is mine. It's mine. Well, the first thing I would say to them is, I'm paying for this. Like, the only reason you have this is because I've provided it for you. But the other thing I might say to them is, girls, it's all up there still. There's so much more. Of course, at that point, they go, well, then why don't you go get it? Because I worked hard. I went up there, and I got it for myself. And I went up there elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, and I fought all those other people. I got it the perfect amount for my plate. And I came back here, and now you're trying to put your hands in my plate. And I'm saying, I gave it to you, and there's so much more for you. And sometimes when we hear messages like this, we, we're that kid at the Chinese buffet, and we're wrapping our arms around our plate. Some of you, as, I, as soon as I said we're talking about generosity, you kind of gripped your wallet a little bit tighter. <laughs> and you get your arms around your plate, and you say, it's mine. 
I feel like God just wants to remind us, why is it even yours to begin with? I provided it for you, and there's so much more. This is yours, and anything you're ever going to get is from me. I know, I know what some of you do for work. I know some of you work really hard for your money. You work really hard. You do jobs that, that are difficult, that are challenging. And it's easy to say, hey, I put all the time in, and so when the paycheck comes to me, it's mine. I earn this money, and I'm going to do with it what I want, and you can't tell me otherwise. But here's the only question I want you to consider. What did you use to earn that money? What did you use? You breathed the air that God gave you. You, you, you used your eyes that God has created and given you. You used the hands and feet that God designed. You used your mind that God has placed in you, your good, creative, thinking mind. You've exercised your skill and your talent that all came from God. Everything that we have comes from God. Every gift, every job that is represented in this room is because God, in a way, has provided for you both the knowledge and the skill and the opportunity and, by the way, the place in history and the place in the world where you can have that job. It's all through the sovereignty of God. And so for us to say it's mine and I earned it myself is to, to show a major lack of perspective and understanding of how big God is and how much he's done to set you up so that you can provide. Everything, God, everything we have, God gave us, and now he asks us to share it. And here's what's so cool about God. When we just push back a little bit to him, you know what he calls it? He calls it generosity from us. He calls it worship. He doesn't say give me 100, you know, just the percentage that we're willing to give, that's generosity, and he's gracious in that way. By the way, the first fruits, when it says bring the first fruits of all your produce, the first fruits was always the best, it was never the leftover. They would go out and they would find the best that they have, and they would bring it to God. A couple weeks ago, I was downtown grabbing lunch at a, at a little sandwich shop in the city called Darwin's, and I was there with uh, my friend Jared uh, Berry, and I was like, Jerry, let's go have these, which means like, I wanna try a couple sandwiches. So you get one, I get one. We cut it in half, and then we swap halves, right? So now I get to try both. It's just strategic, you know? And so, so I say, let's go have these. He's like, okay. So I get the steak sandwich, and he gets the fish sandwich. And so I sit down, and I open up my wrap, and I look at the sandwich, which has been cut in half, and I realize that the person who cut it in half did not cut it perfectly in half. <laughs> and there was clearly a better half. And because Jared's not here this morning, he's preaching at a church in Buffalo, I'll just, I'm just going to confess, I slid the smaller half to Jared, <laughs> and I kept, I kept the bigger half for myself. And I think, I think you're probably more generous than me, but I think we're all a little bit like that. As soon as we see the opportunity to measure things, we instinctively measure things, and then we decide, this is, I'll, tell, I'll keep the best for myself, and I'll give whatever is left to others. And I think sometimes with, we have to be careful with the way we give to God, where we say to God, I'll give you whatever else I got. After I take care of my stuff, after I build my kingdom, then I'll give you some leftovers, whether it's our money, our resources, our gifts, our energy, our talent, our time. Some people think that way about Sunday morning, being in service. They think, if nothing else is on my calendar, then I'll be there. And I'm just challenging you with this thought. I don't know that it's the most generous use of your time and your resources to say to God, you get my leftovers because everything else is getting my best. He gets the first fruits because generosity recognizes the source. Third point this morning is this. Generosity doesn't make excuses. Doesn't make excuses. It said the first fruits of all your produce, all your produce. Now, how did they give back then in the ancient Near Eastern world when this was written? 
They didn't give like us. They didn't pull out cash. They didn't write checks. They didn't go online and set up a giving account. They didn't do any of that. The way that they would give is they would walk out either into their crops or they would walk out into their flocks and they would get 10%, the best that they had, and they would bring it back to give to the priests, the Levites, so that they could make sacrifices and also have what they needed to live. And so they would go out to the harvest field and they would say, this whole field has bloomed. 10% of it I'm taking as the first fruits. Not just any 10%, but I'm taking the best 10%. And then here's all these animals over here. And here's the biggest, strongest, fluffiest, chubbiest sheep. And it's, I'm going to give this one instead of this little pathetic one over here. So that was their, that was their choice. That's, that's how they gave. And what I want us to notice about this idea of giving first fruits from all of your crops is two things. Number one, not just in good harvest times, but even in the tough ones. So they didn't have the Doppler back then. They didn't have Weather Channel. They didn't have the app on their phone. They didn't know if it was going to be a good harvest season or a bad harvest season until the harvest season happened. But whatever the harvest season was, good or bad, they walked out and faithfully gave, of God, gave God of their first fruits. So they didn't, it doesn't say in Proverbs, give God the first fruits of all your produce when you have a great crop, banner year, then do it. But when it's a really rough year and there's a famine, and there's a drought, then just, just hold on to it all for yourself because God understands. Give everything. Good seasons, bad seasons. Great job, no job. What do you have to give? And here we learn in all times, give. But also it says, not, it, doesn't say not, it doesn't say give from some of your produce, but give from all of your produce. Now some people, I'm not trying to make this a rule at all. I'm not trying, to, not trying to be doctrinaire about this, but I want you to understand. Some people look at this passage and they say, this is why I tithe, or whatever percentage you give, this is why I give off my gross and not my net. Because it's from all of my produce, not just the stuff that I get after the government's done sticking their icky, sticky fingers in my, in my money, right? So, that, so this is why some people are, carry that personal conviction. They say, when I give, I'm not going to factor my percentage off of my net. I'm going to factor it off my gross because I want to give from all of my produce. It's not a rule for you. It's just something that you can consider from this text. And so we have this idea of giving in good seasons and bad seasons, giving from everything that we have because generosity doesn't make excuses. It doesn't say it's not a good time to give. We just faithfully give and we're faithfully generous. And I want us, before we get to our last point this morning, I want us to notice what verse 10 says. It says, after you do this, you honor the Lord with your wealth, you give the first fruits of your uh, harvest. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, what does this mean? Is this the prosperity gospel? Does this mean that if you give, God will make you rich? God will give you lots of stuff? You'll be flying the world in a private jet? You have your own yacht, Chinese buffet every day? Like, like what, is this, what does this mean? And one of the things we have to understand about the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs offers us principles, not promises. Principles, principles that are generally true, principles that carry a biblical truth. And what's the biblical truth here? The biblical truth is this. God blesses obedience. He blesses obedience. Whatever we trust him with, he's going to bless us with, right? And so it's like whatever we give to him, he wants to bless the rest of it. So there is this idea that God blesses, and maybe sometimes the blessing takes the form of finances. Certainly he's faithful and he provides all of our needs, not always all of our wants, but he provides our needs. And sometimes the way he provides the needs is through each other and through the church family. So this is a principle, it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee that if you give, you're gonna be wealthy because if we give for that reason, then we've basically reduced God to a vending machine. 
I put my stuff in, and when I push the buttons, my better stuff better come out for me. And when we approach God that way, we've reduced God from being beautiful to being useful. And we're using him to get what our heart really finds beautiful instead of saying, God, if you say give and be generous, I wanna give and be generous. If you wanna fill up my barn and fill up my vat with wine, then I'll receive. If you can trust me with that, then I'll receive it. But the truth is, is that truly generous people, there's a couple things about them. Number one, they have learned to not define blessings in shallow terms. Blessings is not just finances. As long as we only think blessings is finances, then we don't really have a generous heart. We're just trying to get, you know, this idea that we get because we've given. God wants to bless, but he's not indebted to us. But also, here's something else that's true about the generous. They can be trusted with more. God can trust them with blessings because this verse here actually is supposed to pull our mind back to the covenant God made with Israel. And when God said in Genesis 12, I want to bless you, why did he want to bless them? So they get fat, healthy, wealthy, dumb? No, he wanted to bless them so that through them he could bless the world. So if God's going to bless you, he's not blessing you to fill your pocket, to line your pockets and to fill your bank account. If God blesses you financially, you know why he's blessed you? So that you can be a blessing to others so that you can build the kingdom and he can trust you with those resources. And ultimately, this idea that the barns will be filled with plenty and the vats will be bursting with wine, you know what this really ultimately points us to? It points us to the future coming kingdom when Jesus reigns and rules and his kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. And in those days, you can be sure the barns will be full and the vats will be bursting with wine. Last point this morning is this. I said earlier that generosity is about more than money, and it is. Generosity goes beyond your wallet. Now, if you didn't like hearing about money, you're probably not gonna like hearing this part either because this is actually, I think, harder than finances. Generosity goes beyond your wallet. How? Well, we need to be generous with our time, with our gifts, with our words, and with our attention. Let's talk about these. Generous with your time. Considering other people first. Some people are not generous with their time. Some people think their time is more important and valuable than other people's time. What does it look like to be generous with your time and to consider what other people need and to be willing to give of yourself? Generous with your gifts. Use the talents and the gifts that God has given you to serve. One of the ways you can serve is right here at Trinity. And many of you do serve, and if you're not serving, please know we would love to have you serving in some capacity, some role. There's a place here for you to serve. Some of you are serving, but there's actually ways in which you could be serving beyond what you're currently doing. You've given some, and you feel like you feel good about what you've given, but are you being generous with your gifts and generous with what God has given you, generous with your words? What does it look like for us to be a body, a family who's generous with our words to each other, speaking life and encouragement into each other when we see each other, and then protecting each other with our words, not speaking badly of each other, not speaking negatively of each other, but speaking kindly of each other, and then generous with your attention, Just stop and pay attention to them. We're not that great at it. There are people in your life that need you to pay attention to them. There are people in your workplace that need you to pay attention to them. There are people in this church that need you to pay attention to them. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, who or what are you paying attention to? I want to challenge each of you, especially those of you that you call this your church home and you've been here for a while. Come on Sunday mornings with the heart and the mindset, I'm going to pay attention to somebody else today. I saw this list on uh, the internet the other day about how people, this one woman was saying, this is my family's rule on Sunday mornings at church. I loved it, three rules. Number one, if somebody is standing alone, that's an emergency. She's saying, if they're alone, if there's a visitor especially, I don't know them, and they're standing alone, that's an emergency, and I drop what I'm doing to go talk to them, to go engage with them. How different, I think we're good at that, but we can be better, can't we? 
Number two, um, this rule was friends can wait. We've got a lot of great friends in this room that you want to see every Sunday that you want to talk to. But their mentality on Sunday morning is we're going to be generous with our attention. And so our friends can wait. We're going to find people who need to be you know, connected with. And then the third rule that they had was when we meet somebody new, we're going to connect them with somebody else. Not just going to say hi and walk away, but we're going to take the time to bring them over to somebody else say, hey, do you know this person? And help them get connected. That's one way that you can be generous with your attention. By the way, one of the areas I think that God's convicted me the most is what does it look like to be generous with my attention in my home? Isn't it true that I think often we pay the least amount of attention to the people that we're around the most? We take them for granted. I remember a few years ago, I was at a conference, and my friend Tyler Soley, who's a pastor out in Tacoma, Washington, he, sa- he said something that has haunted me ever since I heard it. He said, you don't want the enduring image of who you are burdened to your kid's brain. You don't want that image to be this. He held up his, for those of you who are listening on podcast, he held, up your, he held up his phone and he just buried his face in it. And I was like, Tyler, how dare you? You dirty dog. <laughs> you dirty dog. I was so convicted because I thought there is a whole generation growing up. And when, later in life, when they think back to mom and dad and what were mom and dad like and what did mom and dad do with their time, it's going to be this. It's going to be our faces buried in our phones. They don't need to remember you this way. They need to remember you this way, face to face. Pay attention to our own children. Put our phones down. Put our distractions down and be fully present with them so that we can be generous towards them with our attention. Is that hard to hear? It was hard to say. <laughs> Let's look at one more passage before we finish. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to skip down, and we're going to see how generosity goes beyond the wallet. It says, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you now. Verse 29, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. All right, so what, each of the, what does this have to do with generosity? Each of these verses is teaching us something about generosity beyond our wallet. Generosity in the context of relationships. Each verse teaches us something. So let's look at each verse again real quick. Verse 29, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you now. What, is we learn about, what do we learn about generosity here? We learn that generosity welcomes inconvenience. Generosity welcomes the inconvenience. I don't want to be inconvenienced now. I don't want to take the time to help you, so come back tomorrow when I actually have time in my schedule, and then I will help you. Generosity welcomes the inconvenience. This past week was our annual New York Assemblies of God meetings. So Pastor Jason, Pastor Vicky, myself, and Pastor Unhi, and Pastor Bill, and Pastor Jared, and Jennifer, and others of us, but all at this conference all week, Tuesday all day, Wednesday all day, Thursday morning. It was a wonderful conference. But I knew it was going to be a problem for me because I got a sermon to write. And it wiped out my whole week. Monday, I spend the whole day doing different tasks. I don't usually really touch my sermon until Tuesday. Tuesday, I didn't have any time. Wednesday, I didn't have any time. Thursday morning, we had meetings all the way till noon. And so my whole strategy was, after the meetings end on Thursday, I'm going to have lunch. That's just wisdom. I'm going to have lunch. And then I'm going to go work. I'm going to get working on this sermon. And so right when the meetings were ending at noon, my friend texts me, and I won't I won't say his name, but his initials are Jared Berry. And he texts me, he texts me and he said, David, Dan McLaughlin has something he needs help with, just moving something real quick. I'm like, all right, I can move something real quick. And so I walk into this room. I'm picturing like a couple boxes, a couple totes. It was the entire production set, the stage, 
the lighting, because we were in a hotel ballroom. So they had set up this big stage, all these lighting racks, a whole sound system. I walked in, I'm like, what are we breaking down? He's like, that. I'm like, what? I'm like looking for something small sitting on the stage. He's like, no, that, that whole thing. And I was like, what? 90 minutes later, I'm still pushing like these huge like carts and cases up into the back of a massive tractor trailer, like just working and working. And I am internally, I am like burning. I'm, I'm, my, t- my afternoon is wasting away. My sermon prep time is going and I'm getting so angry. And here's what I finally thought to myself. I'm supposed to be writing a sermon right now. I'm being generous. And instead I'm wasting my time being generous. <laughs> and it was like in that moment, the spirit kind of is like, see, see, it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. There's so many ways that we are stingy. It's not just money. It's time. It's attention, it's, it's affection, but also we have to learn to welcome the inconvenience sometimes because it keeps us generous. Verse 21, 29 says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. What does this mean? Very simple. Generosity doesn't take advantage of others. Generosity doesn't use other people. Generosity doesn't exploit. When I was growing up, one of my favorite poems was a poem by a guy named Shel Silverstein, and it's a poem called Smart. I want to read it to you. It's a kid's perspective. My dad gave me one dollar bill because I'm his smartest son, and I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. Then I took the quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he doesn't know that three is more than two. Just then along came old blind Bates, and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes, and four is more than three. And then I took the nickels to Hiram Coombs down at the seed feed store, and the fool gave me five pennies for them, and five is more than four. And then I went and showed my dad, and he got red in the cheeks and closed his eyes and shook his head, too proud of me to speak. (laughs) That young lad got taken advantage of. (laughs) And generosity doesn't take advantage of people's ignorance, lack of knowledge, Lack of insight, lack of perspective, doesn't do that. And then the last verse, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm, simply means this. Generosity always gives the benefit of the doubt to others. It never assumes the worst. It never attributes motivations to other people's actions. It doesn't categorize, characterize, or demonize people who are different. So, in closing, how do we become generous? How do we get there? How do our hearts become generous? The Apostle Paul was writing to a church, church in Asia Minor, in Corinth, and he was trying to raise money for the church back in Jerusalem who had gone through a famine. He was asking them to give, to be generous. And right in the middle of his request for them to live generous, he drops this verse, chapter 8, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says this, it'll be on the screen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor. He wrapped himself in humanity. He wrapped himself in poverty. He wrapped himself in insignificance. He wrapped himself in accusations. He wrapped himself in suffering. He wrapped himself on the cross. He became poor. Why? 
so that you and I, by his poverty, might become rich. There's no other way for you and I have to have the only riches that matter and the only riches that last, which are the riches of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. There's no other way for you and I to have it but through Jesus' poverty. If Jesus wouldn't allow himself to become impoverished, then you and I would have no hope. So why aren't we generous? We aren't generous because we forget this simple gospel truth, that everything we have comes from God. And the only thing that can't be taken from us is, is, is ours for sure because of our hope and trust in Jesus. And so when we aren't generous, here's what's happening. Your stuff, your wealth, or the things that you think stuff and wealth will give you, those things are more beautiful to your heart than Jesus. And here's the prayer that we have to pray. Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus more beautiful to my heart than my stuff? Make Jesus more wonderful to me than things. And as Antonia said this morning while we were singing, let Jesus be the treasure. The treasures of this earth, they come, they're going to go. Rust is going to destroy it. Moths are going to come and ruin it. But the treasure in heaven, it's eternal. It's forever. It's ours, not because we've done something great, but because we've trusted in Jesus and what he's done for us. And when that gospel truth works itself out in your heart, you'll find yourself becoming much more generous with your money, with your wealth, with your stuff, with your time, with your attention, with your gifts. You'll just give. Your hand will open because your heart already is open. And that's the key to honoring the Lord with our wealth. Let's pray together this morning.